plates come out, this amazing food. This restaurant um, has four kitchens, each visible from the dining floor. And they represent four methods of cookery. So one's like fire, one's like steam, one's ice, and one's smoke or something like that. And so each kitchen is designated to a specific uh, method of, of cooking food. And so you can watch as you sit in the restaurant, how they prepare all these meals. And everybody's dressed immaculately. There's no, not one thing out of place. It's just amazing. And they get the tweezers out and do all the culinary thing to make it look good. And, and then out the food comes. And we're looking on this plate. And it's magic. It is like magic on a plate. And the, the flavors are just like heavenly. It is ridiculous. And the presentation. And it's like, man... In this moment, at this table, I'm having one of the most greatest experiences of my life. And I don't want that to be the last. I want to go to other restaurants. I want to experience other foods and other cuisines and try beautiful things because life is beautiful and should be enjoyed. And it got me thinking. Sunday morning is beautiful. Our worship team is world-class. Like, we don't have 50 people lining up to get in a team. We can barely get a team together for a full band, and that's why we only had acoustic this week. But it doesn't matter because the heart is not to be professional musos. The heart is to lead us into worship. And it shows because the presence of God is here each and every time we worship. And so I love our gatherings on a Sunday. They are beautiful times of connecting with one another, but more importantly, connecting with God. And it's like that magic on a plate. It's like, wow. It's a beautiful moment. And going back to that restaurant, the magic on that plate, the magic at that table as we enjoyed this beautiful meal and this nice glass of wine, the magic didn't start at the table. It started in the kitchen. So it's really the chef and the team doing the hard work in the unseen, although in this restaurant you could see, to create our experience. On a Sunday morning, the magic that we, I hate that word in church because it sounds a bit mystical, doesn't it? But, but the moment of God's presence that we experience here today, the beauty and wonder of what happens here doesn't start here. It starts behind that wall. At 8.30, when two or three people gather together in Jesus' name to pray for you and pray for me that we would have a great encounter with God. It's true. And I just want to say, from, from a place of love, and honesty, let's not leave it up to two or three. Let's not be consumer Christians. We come, we're going to want to get fed the encounter, fed the blessing, fed, fed the, the anointing. We are called to contribute. In fact, the Christian life is far more to be in the kitchen than it is to be on the dining room floor. As I want to encourage people, that prayer meeting is not exclusive. That is not, it's not a closed meeting. My prayer would be that that, that, prayer, that room that we've established for prayer in there at 8.30 on a Sunday morning would be insufficient for the amount of people who have a hunger and a desire to see the move of God in our services, that they would, they would kick the band out from rehearsing on a Sunday morning because they need this space to hold a prayer meeting. So that means the band has to come in at like six to be able to practice and get ready. But I just want to put that out there. I know 8.30 is 
early on a Sunday morning. I get that. But man, I'm telling you, nothing happens without prayer happening first. Prayer is the gateway. And, and prayer, like we look at the revivals over, over history, it didn't start with the revival. It started with the prayer meetings months before. But they're not sexy. They're boring. They, they can be so monotonous. But that's where we grow. That's where we encounter God. It's like professional athletes. I know they live for the game. They live for getting me on the court in front of 50,000 people, cheering my name, chanting my, my, my number, and, and that's what I live for. But they can only do that because the gym, the relentless amount of hours in the gym, lifting weights repetitively over and over again. And it could seem boring, but it could also seem like, hey, I'm doing this because it's going to take me here. And so I want to encourage us to get, get involved in the prayer meeting because it's going to help us continue to see God move powerfully. It puts us on the field rather than on the bench. Or worse still, in the bleachers, just watching it all happen before us. I love what Catherine is doing, wherever she is. I can't even see her. Is she here this morning? I'm sure she's probably still praying in there right now. Um, oh, there you are. It's just the glory of God is all over you. I can barely see but I just want to say thank you. You've taken up the mantle of prayer over the last 12 or so months and doing an incredible job with that, just faithfully praying for you, for me, for, for all of this. And with all due respect, Catherine's no one special. I'm no one special. You are special though, Catherine. You're beautiful special. <laughs> Hank tells me all the time how special you are. Um, but it's that available spirit it's that Matthew 28, 19 spirit. It's that I'm going to pray with all fervency spirit. It's that draw near to God, he'll draw near to me spirit. It's, it's that I'm not going to be a consumer Christian. I'm going to be a contributor. So thank you for that. Thank you for leading the way in that. And I'm excited to see what God will do through you, through prayer, and through our church um, as a result of that. Um, and sorry, you did a, a cert four in prayer, is that right? You did, a, you did a certificate in that? There's like a Bible college course in prayer, how to pray, and that qualified you to, is that how it works? No? Exactly. It's just like, be there. There's no qualification. You know, I, I would hate that you would feel uncomfortable being in a prayer meeting because you don't feel adequate enough or have the right words. I'm a pastor. I go to prayer meetings, I have the right words. Let's go, all right, God, I feel the Spirit tell me to say this. I hope it's okay. Roll the dice. As long as you had Jesus, it's normally pretty good, so that's fine. <laughs> Is there anything you want to add, Catherine, while I'm on this, to encourage us in prayer that I've maybe overlooked? But Come on. Come and cheer for one thing. Awesome. Sometimes I get tired of my own voice, so it's good to have someone to break that up. <laughs> awesome. No, my only thing would be... Um how I got into praying, honestly, I, 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 I was so scared of praying. And um, I remember way back when Sean and Jane were running this church and they had a prayer meeting and I just went and I just listened for a long, long time. And I wanted to talk, say something, but I was just too, like, um, what do you call that, conscious of myself, um, too scared of what I might say. Then Sean might pull me up later and go, hey, you shouldn't be praying that. You know, it's crazy the things that go on in your head. And you don't want to get up and pray because you think it's not good enough. 
And so I just sat in the prayer meeting and sat in the prayer meeting and just was in the prayer meeting and over time, little bit by little bit, you know. And then I also started to realise, you know what, they're, they're not thinking that. They're not thinking your prayer's not good enough. You know, you, I've got to realise that God will, whatever is on your heart, that is what God is wanting you to pray and just do, just start. It doesn't matter if you make mistakes. And so bit by bit by bit, it was a journey. It was a journey. So, you know, if anybody thinks I'm not a prayer, I wasn't a prayer. I wasn't a prayer, but I just knew that it should be something that I've got to be doing because, yeah, nothing will, God won't move anymore unless there's prayer. <laughs> he can't because the power behind anything God does comes from prayer. That's really powerful. And that prayer is not by God, but by us. How amazing is that? That's amazing um, responsibility or privilege. That's all I want to add. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. It's true. Prayer activates faith, and faith is what is required to move mountains and see God do what only He can do. Are you okay with that? Yeah. Sweet. Not legs aren't sore. No, because no, I, I need you. I need you. Don't stop. No, just, I don't care about your fingers. I care about your legs. Your fingers can. Joey. I. Um, I'm going to give Joe a lot this morning. You probably think, oh, you give Joe a lot every week. But I was driving home Monday from a pastor's day in Brisbane and really tired, big day. As you know, driving, let's just, he sends a text with a picture that he got off Google, which I thought was real, um, of a newborn baby. <laughs> Hugh Jazz, he called him. Hugh Jazz, which if you want to extrapolate that out yourself, you'll see what, he's, what he meant by that. Mum doing well, baby doing well. Anna squealed with excitement. Oh my gosh! It's like, what? And she starts texting all this stuff, and then Joe's like, oh, it's actually just joking. <laughs> Game on, Joe. <laughs> Don't be like that. Just having a glass of lemon, lime, and Joe right now. Put that down. Oh dear, where am I going? Hey, we had a great week this week. Um, so you get prayer at 8.30, get along. But also we started our short courses on Tuesday night um, and again on Wednesday. And it was just phenomenal. Hands up if you're at the Tuesday night one, Becoming the Reappearing Church. Just, yep, beautiful one, two, three, about six or seven of us. Absolutely brilliant. Um, reading through Mark Sayer's book, uh, Reappearing Church. Uh, look, it's not too late to get involved and I would highly recommend you do if you could spare an hour and a half on a Tuesday night 7 to 8.30. Um, absolutely brilliant context, uh, content looking at essentially what is going on in the world, how the church is no longer compatible with the culture of this world. So what hope is there for the church to have influence and impact like the Bible tells us to when the world is actually shutting down all around us and saying no, 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 no. Um, so, so that is absolutely phenomenal. We had some really, really good, robust discussions on Tuesday night. Then Wednesday, uh, lunchtime, we had a great meeting uh, looking at understanding the Bible. Again, half a dozen people just um, looking at how do I better understand the Bible? What does the Bible mean when it says this? Um, all these great questions that um, we will build on each and every week. So um, if you want to get involved in that, please head over to the counter after the service and see the lovely Shandy. Or you can jump on our website and register that way, but um, that'd be amazing. The standard. Let's preach for a bit. And then we'll have coffee. We um, are week six in like a 
40-week series on the Sermon on the Mount. And, and this flies in the face of um, what should be done in church. You should do maximum four to six-week series because people can't hold their... They get bored. People get bored with it. You need to get something fresh and something new. It's like, that's great, but I feel in my spirit that God said, preach the whole Sermon on the Mount until we all get it, until we all make the decision that Jesus is going to become the standard for my life because until He is, we're not a disciple, that He must be the standard in order for us to be disciples. Otherwise, what is the standard by which we live? Our own ideals, our own methodologies, our own experiences, our own hurts, pains and preferences? Or is Jesus the standard? And if he is, well, let's see what he says. And so we, we've started in Matthew 5 and just looking at, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit is not necessarily blessed are those uh, in their spirit who are poor. It's not talking about how much money you do or don't have. It's about us pouring out, P-O-U-R, all of who we are so that we are poor in spirit, empty vessels for God to P-O-U-R, his spirit in us and make us rich on the inside. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. And then we looked at blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God promises that he will bring us comfort when we mourn. We're not meant to be robots. We're meant to feel. We have emotions. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meek is power under restraint. It's choosing to be allowed to be inconvenienced in this life for the sake of others and the sake of the greater good. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We looked at that word could happily be translated with holiness blessed are those who hunger and thirst for holiness and my fear is that perhaps we don't hunger and thirst for holiness that maybe we have a peckishness for holiness because we should because christians should be nice people but there's not that desire or drive for holiness to live at the right standard that God would have his people live at, which is not perfection because that's not possible, but it's about forsaking everything else, picking up our cross and following Jesus. It's about him being the standard as we've been looking at. So today we jump into verse 7 of Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now that might sound really basic and how are you going to draw a message out of that? That's just pretty straightforward a plus b equals c and it is blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy but what i want to point out is a very interesting fact it's probably a good thing for us to write down to know and to have in the forefront of our mind is a principle that goes like this god will never ask anything of us that he isn't already himself god will never ask us to do something or be someone that he already doesn't manifest or display himself because we are all growing in the image of Christ right that is what it means to be a disciple to grow up in his image so when we read this blessed are the merciful when we read that God is calling us to live a life of mercy we can automatically by default know that God is merciful and when we read through the rest of these uh, beatitudes we looked at we can see Jesus lifestyle and his heartbeat and who he is already blessed are those who are poor in spirit Jesus poured out all of who he was he poured out his, his divinity to come to earth as a human to make a way for you and I to have reconciliation with God the Father. Jesus mourned. He felt. And the Father comforted him. We see that in Jesus. So God is never going to ask anything more of us than he has already demonstrated in the person of Jesus. Jesus was meek. He showed power under restraint. 
And he definitely had a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, for holiness, for a standard. And so we see he'd be merciful. So let's define what mercy is. Here's a real simple equation. Mercy is this. Pity plus action equals mercy. Pity plus nothing equals pity. Not mercy. Mercy, in order for it to be mercy, has to have an attribute of action. We have to actually take feeling sorry for someone to a higher level of doing something about it in order for it to be mercy. See, what we can do is we can, we can see people who are struggling, hurting, and, and having a hard time, and we can feel, and we should feel, and we feel sorry for them, we feel empathy, we feel pity, but we trick ourselves into thinking that we are merciful just because we feel. We're not merciful till we do something about it. We're not merciful till we put our pity into action. So essentially, mercy is this. It is, it is holding the heart of God while also being the hands of God simultaneously at the same time. Mercy is having the heart of God while being the hands of God all at the same time. Here's a good test. What do you do? How do you know if you have a merciful spirit? Imagine someone has offended you, transgressed you, hurt you. And through a series of events, you now have power over them. How do you respond in that moment? Do you seek vengeance? Do you see there's opportunity? Do you pursue action against them? Because you now have the power to make right what they made wrong in the first place. If, if that's our heart attitude, then we are not merciful. We violate the very heartbeat and nature of Jesus who is merciful. It's like if you had a boss that was really harsh and treated you poorly and was horrible and then all of a sudden he gets demoted and you become the boss. How do you treat him as a subordinate? That's a test of do we have a merciful spirit? Matthew 18, verse 20. Let's, let's read that this morning. Let's go to Matthew 18. I love the Bible. It's really good. Kind of should. I'm just going to read a couple of parables that Jesus um, teaches us to get a better understanding of mercy. So Matthew 18, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven... So this is a lot about parables. They might be hypothetical stories, but the hypothetical stories that point us to a principle about how God operates and how things work in his kingdom. So, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, which was a form of currency. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for the man, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. So here we see the formula, pity and forgiveness. Pity and action equals mercy. But then that same servant went out 
and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, significantly less, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw that he had, this had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported it to their master what had taken place. Then this, his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy, pity and action on your fellow servant as I had mercy, pity and forgiveness on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers that he should pay every debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Forgive, action, heart, pity. We feel and we respond. This is how the kingdom of God works. This is the gospel that we have been forgiven a great debt of sin. God has shown pity on our situation as sinners. And he has poured action through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, which means that we are recipients of this beautiful gift of mercy, which is nothing that we have done to deserve, but God's free gift that is initiated by his grace, poured all upon us. And so we now, after being raised to newness of life because of God's mercy, have the opportunity to display that same mercy as God's ambassadors. We represent the kingdom of heaven. We represent how God does things. So we should act in a similar way. I think an ambassador for Australia that's positioned in a foreign nation has a duty to represent the country that has sent them well. The culture, the standards they represent as an ambassador in other countries. And so us, as Christians, as ambassadors for Christ, we have to represent and we do that by Jesus being the standard. Luke 10 is another example. The Good Samaritan, we all know this story. It's quite popular, quite famous how people overlooked this guy who was destitute and down and out and hurt and beaten by the side of the road and they had pity on him, but no one had mercy. It was the Good Samaritan who should have been socially his enemy, actually showed mercy, actually had took pity on the man, but took it a little bit further and put action onto it where he put him onto his donkey, took him into town, patched up his wounds, paid for a hotel for him to rest in while he recovered. Mercy is costly. But the beauty of this is, blessed are those who are merciful because they will receive mercy. You see, God takes personally everything we do to another human. How we treat people, God takes personally. So if we are unkind to someone, if we are ripping people off, if we are harsh with people, God takes that personally. And don't be deceived, God will not be mocked. We will reap what we sow. That's the promise. God is a protector of his people. That's what we read in Romans 12. Vengeance will be mine. Woe to you who mess with people because God will have his way. The flip side of that coin is exactly the same. God takes it personally when we're kind to people. God takes it personally when we show mercy. God takes it personally when we sacrifice people. God takes it personally when we, we are compassionate. Because he also says, what you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me. When I was in jail, you visited me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty. So I was like, when were you any of those things? Well, when you did it to people who were made in my image, 
I respond accordingly because these are my image bearers. People are, carry the imago Dei, the image of the divine. That's Humanity is made in God's image. And so when we treat others a particular way, God takes it personally one way or the other. So this, this week, um, Anna and I met with uh, a lady by the name of Anna Scott, who we've read a letter out from her before. She's the manager of Pete's Place, who is um, uh, an organization in town that looks after homeless people and helps meet their needs. And they've got a great little setup just behind Coles there. Um, and so they, they have doctors that come in and provide services for homeless people. They have um, nutritionists and um, life coaches and all sorts of people come in and help. And so we have an ongoing relationship with them to see how we as a church can help that because we don't want to just have pity on people who have um, hardship in life. We want to actually put that into action and be merciful. And so we, we met and said, hey, how can we serve you? Because these guys over the last few years, we've given Christmas hampers too and it's been great. We've um, given them donations for warm clothing for winter to give to people. But we want to do more. We don't want to just be the, you know, the, the winter and Christmas guys that just here, take this. And then we, because the last thing I want to do is just be the kind of people that feel good by doing a good deed. Oh, well, don't get my hands dirty, but I'll just give a couple of dollars to that and we'll be fine. Like, I don't, I don't that's sort of like entry level mercy. Mercy is picking them up, bandaging the wounds, putting them on the donkey, taking them to the, paying for the hotel. And so we said, what, what, what's the needs? Like, what, what can we, because the problem's huge. Um, and essentially the problem is this, the reason there is not enough resources is because people have turned a blind eye to it. They refuse to see the problem because once you see the problem, you, you're confronted with providing a solution. And so, so they have limited funding because people don't want to see the problem. People don't want to know about it. It's one of those ugly issues that, oh. And so we said, we, we want to help. How, how can, we can't solve all the problems, um, but we want, to, we want to help. And she said, well, look. Um, now, here's what I will say, actually, because this is, this is what bothers me the most. As we're talking about this stuff, I'm looking at the people with trolleys and bags of rubbish and this sounds really horrible, the flies buzzing around them, um, dirty people. And what broke my heart is the, the reason that people are being ignored, or actually the result of them being ignored, is essentially them being devalued. You're not good enough as a human. Because you have this problem, I don't want to know about it, and therefore you are devalued. And that, that is the biggest mistake we can ever make is devaluing someone, especially people that don't think like we think or believe what we believe. We can write them off and devalue them somehow that we as Christians who have discovered the truth are somehow more valuable and better. No, no, we actually become less. We, we, we come to serve and help people, especially if they don't think like we think, especially if they don't believe what we believe. And so that bothered me that, that these people are, are devalued in our society when every single one of us from every race and every creed, every age has the exact same intrinsic value in the eyes of God because we are made in His image. There is a spark of the divine in every human being. And so we said, how can we help? They said, there's a lady in Bellingen 
One lady who every week brings in a hundred meals that she makes by herself and brings them in. And we've started to find it's not enough. The meals go like that. And Anna and I looked at each other like, are you kidding me? Here we are with a church of two, three hundred people, a commercial grade kitchen that's been fully refurbished. Most of us are fairly affluent. Some of us, we might not have money, but we've got time. Surely, if one lady in Bellingham can pump out a hundred meals a week, C3CH could at least match that. We could at least maybe even double that. Not that it's about numbers, it's about contribution. It's about mercy. So we want to we take our pity, put a bit of action on it. And so we, we've come up with this idea. It's very much in its embryonic stage of just getting a team together, coming in, utilising that kitchen and making a stack of meals, dumping a freezer in their office space and then filling it every week. C3 Kitchen, every week, doing our bit to show mercy, to be merciful, to not just go, oh, wow, homelessness is a real problem. We know it's a problem. Everyone knows it's a problem. Pity plus nothing is pity. Pity plus action is mercy. We're called to be merciful people. So we don't know how this can look like. We've only shared this with a handful of people. But this is what we want. This is what's on our heart. And if it ends up just being Anna and I and our own back pocket and our own time coming in, we'll do it. But I reckon as a church we could do so much more um, with our time, our resources pulled together. So um, Anna is going to spearhead that and, and she's not here this morning because um, she's backslidden, but um, <laughs> she's a dance mum, so there's a dance thing on. So, um, But yeah, she's, she's going to spearhead that up. So you can come and see me afterwards for more info or, or just give her a call and chat to her during the week, but that's something we'd really like to do um, because mercy is a standard that we must follow. Jesus is teaching this. Mercy is a standard that we must hold ourselves to. And blessed are those who are merciful. Not just that they will receive mercy, which kind of ironically we already have because of God's great love for us that he's demonstrated through what Jesus has done and now the salvation life we have. But, but the very word blessed we've looked at is divine joy and perfect happiness. So God's promise is for us to be filled with joy, to be filled with happiness. Even though the things in our life might not seem that way, even though things in our life might be terrible, that when we choose to make Jesus the standard, when we choose to be merciful in this instance, we can expect God's divine joy to be injected into our soul, into our spirit. We can expect happiness. When we do to others, whatever we do to others, God takes personally. Here we go, I'm going to finish on this. Ephesians 2.10. For we, you, me, that guy over there in the keys, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. So we've been cut from the cloth of Christ, engrafted into his family. We've been put into a new kingdom. We've been given a new standard by which to live, that God has grafted us and, and as his workmanship has made us into 
For what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Apathy and Christianity don't mix. We're not saved by our good works. We're saved for good works. Both sentences have completely different motives and completely different outcomes. Because we are saved, we put our hand to the plow and serve others. Because of God's great love, we show mercy and he becomes the standard that we follow. Not the other way around. Well, if I just show mercy, if I just show love, if I just do, 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 then God will accept me. No, no, no. Wrong answer. We've already been accepted. We've already been welcomed into God's family. We've already been grafted into his family for the purpose of the good works that he has set out for all of us to walk in. Pity, seeing a problem, being moved by the problem, plus action, doing something about it, equals mercy. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for our time here together. Lord, when we worship you, we encounter your presence, when we hear your word and it sparks truth and life in us, gives us vision, gives us a sense of purpose and mission, I just thank you for that. I thank you that as a church, you are shaking us at the very foundations of what we're about, what we value, what we're called to do. Lord, I just pray that you would continually help us to be aware of your presence each and every day. That you'd help us to realize that you are the standard, that you set the standard for us to live. That we can only be disciples when we choose to live with you as the standard, Jesus. Lord, I pray for this opportunity to make meals for our brothers and sisters in our community that don't have a home, don't have money, don't have hope. Lord, that, that these meals would just carry your presence on them. That they would be given with a spirit of mercy that would, be, would transcend just a physical hunger, but Lord, would ignite an emotional and a, a spiritual hunger for you. Help us to strategize, have opportunity, and that you would open doors of blessing and provision for this, Lord God. And that this would just be the starting block, the stepping stone of far more um, impact and influence in our local community, God. Far more opportunity for us to display mercy. Thank you to bless this in Jesus' name. Amen.